everyone. My name is Alexandra Perry, and you are listening to Investing After Hours, a Wealth Daily podcast. Joining me today is Charles Mizrahi, the Investment Director of the Park Avenue Investment Club. Charles, how are you? Allie, I'm fantastic, and I'll tell you why. Every morning I wake up, and I get to look at the market and find companies that the stock market just mispriced greatly. Now, most of the time, the stock market prices companies pretty efficiently, but it's that 20% of the time that the market just misses it, and my job is to just find those companies where the market is giving away dollar bills for 50 cents. So when you ask how I am, really excited because every day is a new opportunity to find these companies that are flying below markets, the market's radar. I'm excited to have you on the podcast to talk about the Park Avenue Investment Club, and I wanted to get your take on why you decided to found this kind of service. Well, Park Avenue Investment Club is unlike anything out there, and I'll tell you why. I started when I was about 20 years old as a trader, a floor trader on the floor of the New York Futures Exchange. At the time, it was owned by the New York Stock Exchange, and I grew up in a very middle-class family. My father was a warehouse manager. We had cab drivers, security guards, and other warehouse managers and truck drivers who lived on our block. And I knew that the way out of this blue-collar world, which was a great world, but that's not where I wanted to be, was to go down to Wall Street. I knew people who traded on Wall Street. I knew people who were super wealthy, and it was only around 30 to 40 minutes by train. And that's where I focused all my energy when I was in high school. I said, I want to go down and be a trader. So when I was 20 years old, I dropped out of college after one year and went down to become a floor trader in the New York Futures Exchange, was successful there. A few years later, I went to start my own advisory firm that for a period of time was number one in uh, over a one-year period and over a three-year period, according to Barron's. And we were the number one market timer in the country over a seven-year period. And a little later on, I started a hedge fund, which was successful as well. What the Park Avenue Investment Club is, and why I wanted to create it, is I saw that investors were just not getting good ideas, good advice, or really good returns from what was out there. And I said that if I'm going to go into this, I want to create a club, if you will, where I could leverage my contacts, my years of experience on Wall Street, the people that I do know living in New York, that can give my members an edge and a great edge. Because when you're trading or investing, if you don't have an edge, you will lose. Because the other person on the side of that trade If they have the edge, they're going to beat you time and time again. So I created the Park Avenue Investment Club, and we've been doing this for now close to 12 years, and our returns have been outstanding. We're rated as the top 10, according to Market Watch, over a full market cycle from market peak to this bull market now from 07 to 2015, they rated us. And we continually work to make the average investor have the same type of approach, same type of opportunities that the upper class, the hedge funds, the institutional funds have on Wall Street. So when you talk about having an edge or having, I suppose it's the better way to say it, is having a knowledge of the market, you are 
instilling this knowledge in investors through this service. And I was kind of wondering if you could give us some insights into the knowledge that you are imparting. Well, let me give you a very simple example. And it's one of my many examples where uh, I didn't do well. And those are the best ones where you can learn from. Back in 2000, when eBay was still relatively new, I got excited for a pair of cufflinks that I wanted to have. And I kept bidding up the price. It was started at $100. I was in a bid, bidding war with someone else who I didn't know, of course. And it went up to 175 200 250 At 350 the auction ended and I won. And I was so excited to get these cufflinks. I then waited just a moment and said, well, hold on. Let me go check if I could buy them anywhere else online. Checked out that I could, and they were selling for 175 everywhere yeah. else. I then emailed the person. I said, are these the same ones for 175 that I just bought for 350 He says, yep, these are them. And that simple, foolish mistake taught me so much. And it just continually reinforced to me that if you don't know the value of something, you have no business buying it. If I knew, which I should have done from the beginning, is check what these cufflinks were selling for, and then if the price on eBay was below 175 I was getting a bargain. The minute it went above 175 I didn't have the edge. In fact, not only did I have the edge, I lost on that trade. So if you take that and understand what that really, that lesson really is trying to teach, it's this. If you don't know the value of what you're investing in, someone else does. And if they do, and you're on the other side of that trade, 99 out of 100 times, you will be losing. Let's say that someone is brand new to investing. Do you have any advice that you could impart onto somebody like me, who is, say, looking at a company for the first time and doesn't necessarily know what something in that sector or in that that's producing that kind of material should be worth? Let me make it pretty simple. If you don't understand what the business does, you can't value it. And if you can't value it, you should invest in it. So the first thing is to understand what type of business you're looking at. For example, if you were looking at a hardware store or a coffee shop in your neighborhood and you wanted to buy it as an investment, what's the first thing you'd do? You'd go and check the person's or the company's books and records. You would see is the balance sheet strong? And if the balance sheet is strong and the business does look good, is the owner selling to me at an attractive price, a fair price, or a bargain price? If you can't figure that out, walk away. Now, what happens in the private sector is the same thing that happens when you're trading stocks, which are just nothing more than pieces of the business, in the stock market. So, to be a very simple example, if you want to buy something that you could understand very simply, it's McDonald's, right? Hmm. 36,000 restaurants throughout the world, you can go to any McDonald's and understand in about 20 seconds what they do. They sell fast food in these settings. In, in restaurants throughout the world. Now, all you need to do is just read the annual report and you can get a very good sense of how the company makes money. You look at the balance sheet, there are certain things that we look at that's pretty important that tells us in a heartbeat, is the company financially sound or not? Because here's the point, 
if you don't invest in a company that's financially sound and it's teetering on at the edge of insolvency or bankruptcy and can't pay its bills, all the growth in the world will not save it. In fact, growth will kill it. So the first thing that we do is we ask, is the company financially sound? And if the company is financially sound and we understand what it does, the next question we ask, is the company selling at a bargain price? And that's where we look at the earnings over the past several years. We never look forward. We always look back. We don't want to try to, we never want to pay for future earnings because they're nothing more than a wish. We'd like to just value what we can now. And we look at what the earnings are. We put a simple multiple on it of 10 to 12 or 15 times earnings, and that's the price we'll pay. And if the earnings, let's say, are $10 or let's say $10 a share, and we want to pay no more than, let's say, 12 times, so if the stock's trading at $120, it's more or less in our zone. If the stock's trading for $200, we don't want to buy it. If the stock, the top stock is trading for anything less than 12 times previous 12 months earnings, we're interested. And that's basically it. It's nothing more complicated than that. Because you see, Ali, I've been on Wall Street for 30 plus years, and I've seen the way Wall Street tries to complicate investing. And they have a very, very important incentive to make it complicated because then you'll need them. And investing is pretty simple. It's trying to buy things for less than they're trading for and sell them for more. Nothing more complex than that. I have a question and almost a follow-up question to something you mentioned. And it's, you know, you look at companies that may have been operating for, you know, four to six years, maybe longer, and you can recollect earnings reports for that time period. I was wondering, do you ever think about more speculative companies, because I know, especially with my generation, a little bit with the older generation now, but people are taking gambles on technologies and companies that might perhaps do well in the future, but they aren't necessarily creating the earnings needed now to indicate stability. Do you make allowances for that, or are you firmly based in making sure that the earnings have a backed-up history of being able to meet, the company is able to meet its promises? Well, pretty simply, if you're trying to pay for future growth and future ideas and future earnings, you're really taking a risk. And I don't know about you, but I work pretty hard for my money. And I, I don't like to gamble, and I don't like to buy lottery tickets. If you want to look at stocks as lottery tickets of future growth, future technology, I guess you can do that. But there are so many great companies out there that are being mispriced uh, on a daily basis and you can get a dollar's worth of assets for 50 cents. Why would I want to do that instead of trying to pay up for future earnings that may or may not happen? And most of the time, those earnings and that company just, it doesn't happen. Uh, if it does happen, you paid up a very, very high price for them because if you know it, I'm sure everyone else does. So your generation, older generation, younger generation, it's all about the same thing. You go into a supermarket, and if they're selling your favorite ice cream for $3, that usually costs $5, you're going to buy more of them. If all of a sudden they start selling $6 for it, you don't get excited and say, wow, the price went up, let me go buy more of it. You're always trying to buy dollars, a dollar of assets for $0.50. Cents. It doesn't get more complicated than that. So how would you go about finding companies that fit this? parameter that you just set. 
are there, there's obviously publications and advisory services like the ones that you offer investors that can help people kind of navigate the market. But if I was an investor that just wanted to kind of see what is out there, what would you recommend I do first? How does one get started? Well, to be quite honest with you, if you want to get started by trying to just uh, search for four or five or ten companies or do stock screens, it'll take you a while. Uh, it's, it's not that easy. And then again, making money was never supposed to be easy because then everyone would make money. So first realize that if you're going to start, realize that you're going to screw up in the beginning and that you're going to have to put a lot, a lot of effort into it. Uh, money doesn't come to you on a consistent basis uh, by just waking up one morning and saying, well, I want to invest in the stock market. Uh, keep in mind, you're playing against people like me who eat, breathe, and sleep this stuff for the past 35 years and learned it from the ground up and have databases in their minds and connections and contacts and analysts that I know that I can get information on a company that would take you a week and a half of reading and you still won't find. So you're competing against the best of the best. So if you want to just figure I could do a stock screen or just find a stock and follow it and be rich tomorrow, uh, be, be understanding that, well, let me retract that. Live in the real world. Odds are you're going to lose money over time. <laughs> just can't make money that easy. If you want to start out, I suggest you do this. Find companies and industries that you're interested in. For example, when I first started, I was interested in the restaurant business because it was simple. I can go down the block and look at Burger King. I can look at Wendy's. I can look at Jack in the Box. I can look at McDonald's. It, these weren't complicated businesses. I then went ahead, and back in the day, you had to, you had to uh, right away or call up the company for annual reports, and I'd read them. Uh, and I'd read the shareholder letters, and I'd read what the CEO was telling the shareholders, and then get an understanding of what the business does. And then I'd do that every year and follow up and get their back copies. So in no time, I learned something about a lot of businesses. So if you wanted to start today, it's so much easier. It doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be successful, but you will have a leg up. First thing I would do is I would find companies that I'm interested in. Second, I would read the shareholder letters of what the CEO is talking about because he describes the business each year read the last four to five years of each company you're interested and their competitors, and then you'll start to get an understanding of what the business does and how to value it and how to check the financials. I'd love to tell you I could cram 35 years of experience into just telling you do this, do this, but it's just not that easy. So you say you have a company like Starbucks or you have a company like Walmart or you have a company like Amazon where these are big companies and big names do you find that the majority of good investments are well-known or are some of them hidden from the market and you're just not looking in the right places? The answer is both. The answer is both. Sometimes, sometimes like uh, we had during the financial crisis of 08, you had phenomenal companies, Microsoft, uh, Tiffany's, Disney, Corning, uh, Qualcomm, all selling for single-digit multiples of their earnings nine times past earnings, 10 times, they were giving away for free. Uh, in 2008, November, Berkshire Hathaway, humongous company, you know exactly what it's worth. Warren Buffett publishes the, the investments and, the, and the, uh, you can figure out the, the book value very simply and he actually states it. 
It was selling for just the worth of its investments alone, and you got 60 businesses for free. The company had $77,000 a share of investments, and Wall Street was valuing the stock at $77,000, not even looking at the other 60 businesses. That's what happens during a panic. And it doesn't matter that these companies were established. When people panic, they sell what they can and not what they want to. In, in other times, you could find companies that are just flying beneath the radar, companies that were thrown on, on the stock market's unloved and unwanted pile. For example, right now, retailers are in the, in the, in the uh, outhouse. Nobody wants retailers. And there are great retail companies that are selling for fractions of what they're worth, and they're trading as if no one will ever go shopping in a store again. So it, to answer your question, it depends. Sometimes you could find well-established companies selling for a pittance, and other times they're flying beneath the radar. One other example I can give is back in 2010, Google. Everyone uses Google. It's a verb. Google was trading at a multiple of 10 times the earnings when you backed out their cash. In other words, companies that were around just a few years with, with very little earnings were trading at more expensive multiples than Google. The reason was people were concerned that the EU was going to come down on them and that their search business was going going to be, 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 uh, be eclipsed by other companies and their phone wasn't going to do well, hogwash. And the company, that was about a $200 a share, now it's up to close to 1000 The same thing happened, by the way, with another uh, well-established company uh, just a few years ago also was Apple. Apple, when they came out with the iPhone uh, back in um, 2012, the company plunged uh, about 50% from September to January because they said everyone who wanted to buy iPhones, I think it was the iPhone 5 or 6 at the time, already did, and the company had a big sell-off. Nobody was looking at the amounts of money the company was making on the subscription side of the business, which was the App Store. And there was, hiding in plain sight, a, an unbelievable company trading at, at, at really a 50-cent dollar bill. All you had to do was just step in and buy it. I'm not giving examples that I'm making up. These are examples that actually happen that you can go back and look at. At other times, uh, we found companies like, for example, Huntington Ingalls, which is virtually has a monopoly, a company that actually has a monopoly in the 21st century. They have the monopoly on building Navy aircraft carriers and nuclear subs. Their company is so valuable to the U.S. Navy that should they ever become insolvent or run into any financial problem, it says in their 10K, their annual report, that they filed with the SEC, that the U.S. Navy could come in and take them over and run them for them because that's how vital they are to national security. And this company was spun off by Northman Grumman uh, back in uh, 2010. We added it to our portfolio in 2011 when it was trading for $38 a share, and now it's trading for over $200 a share, and we just recently bought more at 185 So those are two extremes. Those, those are two extremes of companies flying beneath the radar and companies that are well-known out there that, for whatever reason, are not trading at, uh, at where, where they should be trading. Or in other words, we like to call them dollar bills trading for 50 cents. I think you just brought up a very good point about panic, and I'd like to ask you some questions about panic and emotional investing, um, because I think it very much applies to not only choosing good companies, but also holding good companies. And you brought up the point of retail, and I can see why people are bailing out of retail, because they feel like e-commerce giants like Amazon are just slowly going to, as you said, eclipse that particular industry. Do you think that 
first of all, panic is the first place that investors shoot themselves in the foot, but also maybe they don't realize that something's a good buy because they're either panicking about the industry or they're just kind of holding on to hype. Okay, I'm going to answer that question in a roundabout way, but I'm definitely going to answer that question. Every few years, every few years, my high school alma mater asks me to come back to speak to their juniors and seniors who are in their investing club about investing. And it's pretty hard to keep 16 and 17 year old kids focused for an hour, but I do because I give them examples, real world examples, and I engage them. And the question that I always love to hear, and I just make sure that I, I know I didn't give a good presentation until I hear this question. The question is, what's the most important thing you need to be successful in investing? And when I tell them the answer, it usually blows them away. They think it's analytical skills. They think it's math skills. They think it's good reading skills, research skills, history. It's none of those. What all great investors have in common, and I've seen this for over 35 years, and I've met traders and investors who are in the Forbes 400. I've known them intimately. We've become very good friends. And I've seen that they all have one main commonality, and that is temperament. If you don't have the right temperament, meaning if you get depressed when markets go down and you get excited when they go up and you react out of emotion and you can't control that, and no matter what approach you use, in fact, if I give you tomorrow's newspaper, no matter what approach you use, over the long term, you'll lose. So the most important thing is to have the right temperament. And that's not me saying it only. Warren Buffett, when he's asked that question, says there's nothing more important than temperament. Because if you don't have the proper temperament, then you're like a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. You have no advantage. You're going to lose because you're going to panic when everyone else is, and you're going to be greedy when everyone else is. If you have the need to, to be with the crowd, you will never be a good investor because you'll always be on the wrong side. But if you have the proper temperament to deal with the ups and downs of the market, then you will, in a sense, deserve the rewards that investors who are successful get. If not, then you have no business getting any of those rewards because odds are you won't. Charles, I always like to end a podcast on this note. When you were in the office last week, we talked about the greatest investment story and you, had, you told me that you had a good one to tell me, and I was wondering if you would tell us your greatest investment story before we end the podcast. Okay. Um, what I was telling you about when we met was not really an investment story, but really something that taught me a lot, and I used it a lot when I, when I got into the business. When I was 14 years old, I got my first summer job. It was nothing more than being a busboy in a local restaurant and most of the friends my age were being counselors in camp, making money and making small amounts of money and going in every day and watching a bunch of kids. And that wasn't for me. I worked as a busboy in a restaurant uh, back in the 1970s. I didn't care. I was happy to make $2.33 an hour. It was, it was all the money in the world to me. And I was able to have money in my pocket. And one day when business was a little slow and most of the tables were clean and the floor was mopped, the boss was walking by 
and I happened to pull up a chair and take a five-minute break, one of the waiters whispered in my ear, he said, you better get up, the boss is coming. You better look busy or else you're out of here. So I immediately jumped up and started wiping down tables and started mopping the floors. And from that day on, I never took a moment's break. I was always looking for something to do. When I got down to Wall Street, I learned something as a money manager and a hedge fund trader that I thought the key to getting ahead and being successful in investing was being busy and working hard. But it took me several years to realize that hard work and investing does not equal success. Hard work and intellect will only get you so far. What really makes for a successful investor? It's not being tempted to invest every day, having an even temperament and being disciplined. So instead of hurry up and do something, I take the opposite pro approach. Don't just, don't just do something, stand there. Because once you make a good investment and you do all your homework and research, it's done and it's natural and it should just flow. And as time goes on, you should be making money. If you look at the millionaires and billionaires that were created by just investing in Berkshire Hathaway back in the 1960s, these people were school teachers and police officers and clergymen. They gave, they invested in Berkshire Hathaway at $25 a share. And today they're worth three, $400 million. What did they do? They did absolutely nothing. They just found one or two good investments and did that. So the whole thing with being a busboy and my greatest investment story can teach, or really what I learned from it, was you don't always have to look busy in investing. The best investments are those that you put in all the legwork and all the, all the hard work in the beginning, and once you make your decision, you just hold it. And a, and a good example of that is Huntington Ingalls. I spent close to a year researching it, meeting with several people after they were spun off from Northrop Grumman. And at $38 a share, I looked and I read everything. I said, I must have missed something, but I did. And we added the stock. And for the last six years, we haven't done anything. The stock went from 38 to $215. We're up close to 460% and climbing. We have another stock, Atrion, ATRI, that's up close to 500%. Same story. So, Hard work, moving around, being busy, sitting in front of a computer, that's not really what successful investing is all about. It's having an even temperament, being disciplined, playing only when the odds are in your favor, and doing the right research. And that's really all I just have to say about that. Well, Charles, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and taking time out of your day to talk with us. I'm going to hyperlink to any of your advisory services at the bottom of the podcast link. So listeners, if you want to kind of access the information or have a deeper understanding of some of the information we covered here, because it's very preliminary, it's just the start of this market investment adventure, then you can go below and make sure to check out all these services. Charles, do you have anything else you'd like to tell investors before we could close off the podcast? I think I've said it all, Allie. And if I could just say one more thing is that Realize that you're playing a game against people who do this with a lot more experience and a lot more understanding and commit to this more than just a casual observer. So if you don't have a mentor or you don't have a Sherpa or a service that's guiding you and directing you, you're going to pay a lot for that experience. And just as a small shameless plug, 
for Park Avenue Investment Club. It takes out a lot of the guesswork. Uh, I, I, I prepare the stocks. I lay them right out there, one great stock a month, give you the reasons, and you could just basically sit by me and watch what I do when I tell you exactly what I do. Because I can teach you how to look at stocks and make money in stocks. Thank you so much, Charles, and everyone have a good night.